Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Can you solve the battle between inflation and unemployment with the idea of a job guarantee? If there is a job there for everyone who wants one from the public sector, if there's not enough jobs in the private sector to go around, will that create price stability? And is that a better method than simply controlling interest rates and dallying with the odd bit of QE, which is the modus operandi of central banks currently? Or is a job guarantee one of those ideas that looks good in theory, but is totally impossible in practice? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Well, Stephen, is a core plank in modern monetary theory. Central governments can create money when it's needed, of course. We know that. That's part of what MMT is all about. And the main focus should be full employment. If the private sector is going through a bit of a downturn, governments should create jobs till there's demand back again from the private sector. In the meantime, those public sector jobs are going to create demand and that's going to get the economy back on its feet quicker, better than everyone being on the dole, presumably. And the argument from modern monetary theorist Steve, is that this is going to control inflation. But I can actually see it working the other way around. If I'm guaranteed a job, well, I would be pushing for higher wages. I mean, that's what keeps wages down, is the fear that if you push too hard, you're going to be out of a job and there's no job to replace it. But if there's lots of jobs going around... I would push for higher wages because I know there's always going to be another job I can go to if my boss is sick of me asking for more money. And that's, of course, we're just talking about very low paid, lots of very low paid public sector jobs being created, in which case maybe I'd know that there's no point in moving on because I'm not going to get paid very well anywhere. Well, that, you know, that is one of the main things that people criticise MMT on. I'd actually distinguish um, like several stages of MMT, by the way. So the part that I have mm. a complete agreement with is the analysis they make of the domestic monetary system and the fact that the government actually running a deficit creates the money uh, in the in the in the private non uh, private non bank sector or the private uh, non government sector. Uh, and yeah. it also creates the assets, let the banking sector buy the bonds that are issued. So there's no difficulty in uh, in paying for uh, you know paying for the bonds. The deficit itself creates the money that banks then use to purchase the bonds. So that that is a hundred percent. Uh, about accounting right. and it's it, it's incontrovertible. When you get so into you're going to say you're not not a big supporter. You're not you're not necessarily behind them on the job job guarantee. Well, no, I'm not. So, I'm saying I am, but I am. I, I support the policy. This is what I'm saying. It's not no longer a case of a um, a description of the current system. It's a policy proposal. Now that we understand mm. the nature of the, of the system, and there, um, I, I mean, there's there's been. When you look at the people who have a job guarantee, there's, it's, as, as well as people promoting the job guarantee, and Bill Mitchell is the, the, probably the most outstanding instance here, there's also a lot of hostility towards the idea of a universal basic income. And uh, so then you get, if, if, you, if you can define that 
uh, first of all, you're showing that the government should be running a deficit because it creates the money the rest of us use for the level of economic activity we have. Then the question is, well, if that economic activity is such that there are people who would be willing to work at the going wage but can't get a job, so you have what Keynes called involuntary unemployment, then their proposal is we should have a job guarantee so that those people can, uh, when the private sector has a downturn, rather than those people ending up unemployed, uh, they can go into positions which, uh, with the, the structure of which already exists, uh, where they will be paid a lower wage than they would have got uh, in the private sector, but still a wage and still have activity. And then a lot of the argument pro and anti universal basic income versus a job guarantee comes down to arguments about what is the psychological impact That's- of someone yeah. Being paid for doing nothing, being paid for doing a job. Right, but that that does sound a bit like work for the doll, doesn't it? I mean, it's exactly the same argument. You know, the, in Australia they had the work for the doll scheme, where uh, you know, if you if you're going to get paid the doll, which wasn't very much money, uh, then you'd have to work for it. And then you basically had, I mean, the, 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 I think there was a great difficulty in creating those jobs. This is uh, the the point where you know I've got some sympathy for some of the critics of MMT, uh, even though the, the, in in the sense that they say, well, what are those positions going to be? Now, the argument mm. comes back, well, there's plenty of things we need to do, like particularly you focus on America uh, and you look at the American economy and the state of American infrastructure. Mm. Uh, if, if you've driven in America? No, it's low down on my list of things to do, I have to say. Okay. It's an- maybe maybe from, you know, San Francisco to Los Angeles, but, uh, I'd do that. But, you know, it's probably number 40 on my bucket list. Mm. Well, I've done, you know, driven on quite a few American roads and uh, I, I haven't hit every pothole in the country, but believe me, it's pretty easy to find right. them. Um, so, so the, and the quality of the bridges, the bridges are literally quite literally but in always, some cases I mean, that's what down. everyone says when you start looking at public sector jobs, you always look at, 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 at you know, infrastructure. infrastructure jobs and not everyone is great at infrastructure. You might have somebody who's been working in an office who would be hopeless at filling in uh, holes in the ground. And, and this is one of the difficulties. I mean, the example that I – it's actually a very uh, sensible example of what happens in a downturn. The, 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 one of the first industries to normally suffer during a downturn is architecture. Mm. Because architects are all caught up in the building boom when you've got you know, the skyscraper fantasy going on and you have the masses of houses being built and so on, and a downturn hits, bang, all these drafts, drafts people, draftsmen who, you know, spend their day drawing uh, structures to be built by builders later, um, suddenly find themselves unemployed. Now, the idea is, well, they'd go and work in, the, in, a, in a, job, a job guarantee position in a public sector, but that certainly wouldn't be as a draftsman. So you then have um, a, a, a range of, of issues about how does that affect the psychology of somebody uh, do, is is that going to be better than looking for a position in their own industry? Mm. Um, you know, there's there's a it is not just a question of macroeconomics anymore; it's logistics as and this well. Is, yeah, and this is what you know. Uh, I hate to say it, public sector generally are not very good at logistics, are they? So if you've if, if they've got to really engineer effective jobs on a, on a periodic basis, because that is the idea, isn't it? They will only do this when the economy is on a downturn and there's fewer jobs around. So the public sector supposedly steps in. When things are good again, then supposedly they go, they all go back to the to the private sector. But the public sector is pretty slow to react to change. I mean, we've I mean, everyone would say that you know right now with, with COVID nineteen, the public sector is forced to change faster than it ever has been be, been before. 
but even then it's 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 too slow for the for the crisis we're we're facing so i, I just wonder whether there's any reality behind any of this well i think it, it, it's a seriously difficult job i mean when we talk about it talking about a job guarantee versus bringing one in uh it, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a major undertaking to do it in a way that's going to function as as a permanent buffer for the ups and downs of the of the of the private sector if you look mm. at uh, and like this is my focus has always been on modelling the impact of credit on causing cycles in the in the economy, and those cycles aren't going to go away uh, with modern monetary theory alone. Uh, when you still have banks being able to create money and banks financing, uh, in, you know, speculative investments and the booms and busts we get out of that, so you're still going to have a cyclical private sector. And the question is, you know, as you're saying, what's involved, and then the public sector having a counter cyclical. Uh, flexibility to take people on and giving them jobs which won't be what they were doing when they were in the private sector but will still be meaningful both to them and to the public sector itself. And, uh, you know, it, it is it is not something to gloss over. It's something which, um, you know, if, if you're going to do it properly, then you have to start saying, well, uh, what I, mean, I think this actually has been done by some of the modern monetary theory researchers, by the way. I haven't read the papers on the job guarantee, but I think uh, Pavlina has been involved in, in some of that and saying, okay, what positions, what, what, what areas of, of lack of attention to the public sector exist at the moment that could be addressed if we had people, rather than becoming unemployed, becoming members of a job guarantee pro- program? And then, right. I mean, in that case, you will get stuff for drafting because you have to, you know, design some new bridges. Um, they, you know, think that's but the, more but getting the yeah. fit, getting the fit right for, yeah. for you know, the, is, is going to be the problem. You're still going to have too many draftsmen or not enough or whatever. So you're getting the mix of, of skills right. And so you are almost certainly going to end up, because everyone always does, you know, the government's going to spend more. I oh, will spend it on infrastructure because at least that adds to the uh, mm. to the long-term efficiency for the for the country. At least there's a payback at the end of it because we're, we're left with whatever's being built. But, of course, with the other aspect of that is if you if the, if the government suddenly says, well, okay, there's a downturn going on, uh, we're going to go into you – know, massively into infrastructure projects, then uh, we know what happens. Everybody who supplies to that infrastructure industry jacks up their prices substantially. So you get a sort of a misallocation of resources in in that respect because the, because because you've distorted the market. Well, I mean, if you, what you have as well as a market which has been distorted by neoliberalism for the last 30 or 40 years is if you go back mm. to the, the early post-war period, a lot of the attitude towards unemployment that mo- modern monetary theory has, and an attitude I, I wholeheartedly support, I'd better say, uh, comes out of what it was like to allow the Great Depression and the Second World War to occur. One certainly helped cause the other. And when you look at the, the post-Second World War uh, attitude to unemployment. I think it was beautifully captured by the work of a, a famous Australian public servant called Nugget Coombs. Uh, Nugget, because he was uh, small and as solid as a lump of gold. Um, Nugget Coombs uh, uh, wrote the, the white paper on unemployment, but white paper on unemployment in Australia in 1946, I think it was. And the, the guiding principle of that document was, and I quote, uh, the objective government policy is to maintain such pressure upon um, uh, employment as to guarantee a shortage of jobs, rather a shortage of, of 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 men, rather than a shortage of jobs. So, in other words, anybody who wanted a job would get one because we keep the economy running at that scale. And then to buffer when there were downturns, there were a range of of you know of, of nation building projects 
that were also uh, designed and you had a public service that was capable of designing them. We don't have that anymore. So a lot of the difficulties we're getting in bringing in something like a job guarantee is because of the gutting of the public service under the last 40 years of neoliberalism. It's getting the balance right, isn't it? I just wonder whether you still need an element of competition in the jobs market. So, uh, you know, the reason I might have been even last week's podcast, you you, took, you gave the uh, analogy of uh, musical chairs where everyone's running around the musical chairs, um, but there's not enough chairs for everybody sitting now there's only normally with musical chairs there's only one person who can't sit down so everyone's racing around trying to get the chairs that are available so if you've got that element of competition means obviously everyone is going to work hard and and compete for jobs it's a pretty boring party game if uh, (laughs) the music the music stops and everyone sits down after a while you'll say well why are we doing this i mean conversely if you uh, if you had eight if you had eight people and only four chairs, everyone would go. This is a stu- stupid game. It's all over too quickly. You've mm-hmm. Got to get the bounce right. I'm just thinking, not having that one chair keeps that com- that competition going. And don't you need that in the labour market? Well, I think you what you do what you don't need in the labour market, and this is a major reason why the job guarantee was first proposed by people like Bill Bill Mitchell and uh, Warren Mosler as well, is that the, the consequences of being unemployed on the individual are pretty devastating. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've had two major bouts of unemployment in my own personal career. One was after I finished my uh, law degree and the unemployment rate had bumped from uh, the, 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 the 1.5% was the unemployment rate when I went to university and that was the recorded unemployment rate. It jumped to 45 or 5% in 1974, 75 when I was out of university looking for my first job. And position that I basically expected to get, I was finding I was beaten out by these really old blokes in their late 30s um, who'd been retrenched from their jobs in publishing and were looking for other ones around. Um, and and the emotional impact of being unemployed is quite debilitating. Mm-hmm. And a, a large, and also, of course, you, you're getting, you know, barely enough money to pay the bills. So that was back in the 70s. Now you're getting not enough money to pay the bills. So it's become a form of punishment. Right. And but if, if, but if, you'd, if at that period of unemployment, you'd been given a bullshit job that had been created by the, uh, by the public sector, that would have stopped you perhaps evolving into what you've evolved into. Um, it's something which, uh, I mean... Like, it's, it's something psychologically, it would be just as damaging as being unemployed, having a, a job which you know is meaningless. If it, if it was meaningless, I mean, the point, the argument is made that people would find these socially socially responsible jobs and mm. uh, and do them uh, effectively. I mean, again, the infrastructure stuff in the States would be a major source of employment where you could walk away and say, I helped make that road road work or I helped to build that bridge. Uh, and I've like I've, I've traveled. I've, I've traveled with another building. No, I've traveled, I, I help build that bridge. Don't no, go on no, it. No, that's, that's that's a potential. I've got to give that one. Uh, but like I, I've numerous times, I've been around with builders showing a uh, you know all sorts of levels from tradies up to people running property companies, and almost without fail, they'll say, "Say I built that place, or I helped make mm. that place." And there's a sense mm. of pride in that. And, and that is partially what, rather than having, I was unemployed and did bugger all, uh, that's a major reason why uh, the, the, the push that MMT has for a job guarantee itself. But I, I am of the opinion that the, the, there's, the, there's an element in which this, you know, I'm thinking 100 years in the future rather than just right now. But the reason that workers get a share of what's produced in a capitalist economy uh, is because you can't produce without them. So you've got to pay them something. Uh, if we go if we go further down the automation route, if we survive the ecological crisis, I'm 
I'm certain we're going to experience. If we get through that, uh, ultimately we're going to have a society where you simply don't want a much production to be done on the biosphere. I'm not going to say saying 100 years. I'm talking when, you know, the transformation which could take production off planet at some point. If that happens, um, then if your only scheme to give workers uh, a bargain for a share of income is is their employment or a job guarantee, um, then they're going to get screwed in a Hunger Games type future. So I think something resembling universal basic income is essential where I see human productive society evolving to right so isn't that better then than the job guarantee because if because i mean part of the the idea of of the job guarantee obviously is that there's enough money floating around so everyone's getting paid uh, a wage and so well, they're, the they're, government's they're creating the money by running a deficit so that's not the yeah, problem. yeah yeah exactly so that so the money is there in the economy it's going it's going into people's bank accounts because they're now working for the government they go and spend that in shops and, and bit by bit then the uh, private sector jobs will will start to to drip back and then they can move back into into the private sector so uh that all kind of makes sense but you could do that without the jobs couldn't you if you just had the uh the the, the universal basic income you could say if you haven't got a job uh you know you're still going to get some money so you can keep spending so you can keep the economy ticking over yeah well there, there is a extent to which we start getting caught in a in a sort of unhill, unholy um uh, confluence of macroeconomic issues with with social um uh, sociological yeah. issues. So, like, if you think about uh, at the moment, if you lose your job, you're unemployed, you're desperate to get back into the workforce, you're being paid shitty wages, uh, you don't contribute much. If if you then say, well, let's now make that wage, uh, what you get paid when unemployed, decent, uh, then that means for the economy itself, the decline in demand during a slump is not as deep. So the businesses don't go under as much as they would do without the government spending. That's the macroeconomic side. But the worry people have, if we pay people too much, they're going to say, why should I go back to work? I'm being paid nicer to sit on my ass." And then you get mm. caught in this debate. Uh, like I think a guy called David Slylas or something of that nature in Australia is having a, a real um, uh, uh, bl- blarney with, uh, with Bill Mitchell over this thing because uh, I can't, I've probably pronounced his name wrongly, but Slylas is saying, look, I just want a, a job, a, a universal basic income, and all this stuff about uh, having to get a job to get paid is a bit of a, a Protestant work ethic thing that um, uh, is, is, you know, very, as you said yourself, very similar to the um, work for the doll. So uh, we've gone from the, the absolutely strictly accountingly correct side of MMT to one where you're going to have debates over whether it's good or bad to have people uh, feeling pressure to get back into the private sector, good or bad to be paid a substantial amount of money, good or bad to be paid for working versus not working. Well, uh, he's got a point though, hasn't he? I mean, you know, if you've, you've got the choice between working and not, most people, unless they absolutely love their job, I'd keep working and I'm abs- absolutely sure you would as well. Hmm. But for, for, for a lot of people, the rest of my family will almost certainly would say, yeah, no, we'll just take the money, thanks. Yeah, and, and this is uh, one of the issues. I mean, uh, David, by the way, we haven't actually acknowledged David Graeber, I think, on our podcast here, but here's a call out to the late and great David Graeber because uh, one mm. of David's most, most recent publications was Bullshit Jobs uh, yeah. when, he, when he said he just you know, realised that a whole lot of people do jobs which they can't possibly believe are worthwhile and then he did a set of surveys and I think about one about one third of the workforce coming saying back if they didn't do the job the world would be a better place so if you have people working in jobs like that of course 
you offer them to pay them to not do a job they regard as socially destructive anyway, they're going to say, I'll take the money, thanks. But I hope people that feel that way would be the ones who'd say, well, let's find something gainful to do. And the, the advocates for universal basic income, people like Carl Widerquist in the States, and, and Carl, by the way, uh, was one of the very first people to proofread debunking economics for me back in 2000. Uh, Carl, uh, Carl's attitude is that you're not being paid to do nothing, you're being paid to do anything in a universal basic income. So I'm, my, my own sympathies, I'm, I, I actually, I would like to see a combination of the two. I'd like, I'd like a UBI at a lower level than a job guarantee and that at a lower level than the average private sector uh, 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 employed position. But I don't see them as being necessarily in conflict where a lot of the debate I see on the Twitter about this is, oh, the UBI, bad, job guarantee, mm. good, and vice versa. I, I just, I just um, wonder how you know, practical I, the idea of the job guarantee is, just knowing that, that you have to, and I'm, I'm, I'm not got it in for the, uh, for, for the public sector, because I have worked in the, in the public sector for, you know, quite a, quite a chunk of my life in, uh, working in the, in the tourism field. Uh, and I saw people who, who worked very hard and, you know, a great deal of a great deal of commitment. And I believe what we were doing actually had some, you know, it was in tourism marketing. I believe we had some, um, you know, some good outcomes from, from doing all of that. But mm. I've also seen a lot of waste happening. And, and you, you just wonder. But if, even, even if you were to say, well, the private sector is going to do this, we're going to suddenly turn a tap and we're going to create meaningful jobs for, uh, you know, for thousands or possibly potentially millions of people. And those are only going to be temporary jobs. They're going to go away at some point. So uh, let's not get too attached to them. It just seems like an impossible ask to me. It's a difficult ask. I mean, um, it's often said that councils have a lot of positions that are unfilled. And like, for example, particularly in the UK, where the the Tories used uh, funding of local government to impose austerity without them having to make any decisions about it by starving the local councils of funds. Uh, A classic example where David Campbell wrote to his uh, his, his mother's local council complaining about them shutting down part of the library and was written mm. back to so tell that, uh, well, it's your policies that have caused this, mate, with a three-page letter from another Tory, uh, Tory mayor. Um, so if you then say, well, let's now bring a, a job guarantee in, then at the council level uh, they wouldn't have the funds uh, in the direct government funding to hire those librarians again, uh, but they could be told, well, you can take them on at the job guarantee. So there are a range of possibilities that, that with, given the extent to which we've, in, in, particularly in the UK, imposed the impact of, of past decades of austerity on the local government, and local government is a potential source of, yeah. you know, but at the same time, you and I've had our experience of, uh, I'm sure, of local government corruption as well. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not just necessarily corruption, but also just inefficiency. And if, mm. if you if you're giving more money to governments, then they'll they'll expect that money on an ongoing basis for 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 longer term projects. It's hard to give a, a local council, for example, saying, well, okay, times are bad, and that's exactly the time, obviously, that they need more money uh, when the economy is facing a downturn. So uh, here's money to employ a whole load of people, but you have to employ people. You can't spend it on uh, mechanizing things you've got to employ people um then they'll they'll want those jobs for, for keeps they won't want them to be told oh you've got to you know you've now got to downsize your council and and all the people working for you uh because they're all going back to the private sector now it's the cyclical impact on all of this i know the idea is it's there to try and balance things out but i, I just it seems the cyclical impact seems that you can't create meaningful jobs if they're not going to be around for very long yeah, I think that's a valid point. I mean, and that's one reason why I think the UBI is actually more flexible because 
with a UBI, you don't have to, you're not trying to provide positions for people who say, here's money, which we, yeah. you can spend to keep yourself alive. It would, it would, as I say, univ- it's both universal and basic. Uh, so it's basic, which, but that means you can spend. So the downturn in the, in the pri- private economy isn't as deep as it would be otherwise. And to some extent, I think a lot of this is predicated on the capacity of schemes like this to attenuate the cycles in a capitalist economy. And if, if you, if that's been my specialty, it's been modelling the endogenous cycles of a monetary capitalist economy. And, you know, we get cycles in 2008 was the classic instance of the, my models turning up in the real world. Uh, but in, in that world, uh, then if you can reduce the volatility then uh, of the cycles by counter-cyclical spending, which is you know, partly what I modelled in my own Minsky work and a large part of what modern monetary theory says as well, then with less cycles, you won't have the same uh, potential boom and bust problems. You know, filling, you'll be filling smaller holes with smaller changes. So there is a way in which um, mm. if the policy and you know, the macro side of it works, then the logistic side of the job guarantee won't and, be as complicated. And- but it'll still but the, be there. The idea that the people making the decision about what those jobs are are the government, whether it's local government or, or, or federal government. I mean, really? They're going to decide what the, the mix of occupations is? Are they, are they really- it can also be community groups. I mean, this is another thing. Mm. With uh, And again, I, I haven't read, I've read MMT literature on the accounting side of things, obviously. I haven't read much on the job guarantee. And I've got, I've got a feeling uh, Pavlova, Pavlina, pardon me, Pavlina, <laughs> I'm feeling very hungry all of a sudden. You're telling me this while I'm on, I'm, I'm, I'm on the last hour of a 16-hour fast at the moment, oh my so God. don't talk food too much. I won't yeah. mention Pavlova again, I promise. <laughs> um, I know what I'm having for lunch. There you go. But Pavlina, uh, I think, has done some work on the mechanics of, of, of how the job guarantee would work and looking at positions that are necessary to make up for the you know, damaged state of of uh, public infrastructure in America um, in particular. So there, there are elements to it, but it's a serious issue. And I think that people should not, uh, you can be very glib and, and, and completely justifiably glib about the capacity for the government to finance itself. That's what Stephanie has done in the deficit mm. myth and 100% correct. There's no problem in her logic uh, of the accounting there. Uh, so you can be glib about that. But when you come to the it's a job guarantee, then it is a serious, difficult issue to get the logistics right, and you have to concede you're not going to get them anywhere near perfect. Um, so you, you have to have a, a, a lot of resources thrown at designing a scheme like that. Um, it, it would be very difficult to pull it off well, and people will be there'll be lots of people who'll be round pegs in square holes. Uh, with our example of a draftsman earlier working planting trees, uh, there will be the positive. Uh, if you see the, what you're doing is worthwhile, then that gives a, a positive feedback in the opposite direction. Uh, but mm. if you see it as being done for the heck of just giving you a, a shovel in your hand, which is the, the, the work for the doll type stuff that you and I saw people experience in Australia, then, yeah, it could be, it could be a, a farcical thing rather than something that creates any sense of social solidarity. And look, you know, you can create a million and one examples of, of this, but I, I know somebody who was uh, who worked in the air, aircraft industry, logistics basically for aircraft parts, and the, that industry's just completely disappeared. Now he is basically planting trees and digging holes and uh, not getting paid a great deal for it. And uh, his his wife uh, is in um, 
uh, something to do with beauty, and they, you know, they're talking about setting up a, a website to start doing, uh, you know, retail business, an online retail business, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he could he could be working on the logistics of that, which is you know, which is his which is his background, which is surely a better use for him. Uh, and uh, but you know he hasn't got the time to do that because he's so exhausted from planting trees all day. Uh, so there's that problem, isn't there? Where you know the future potential gets taken away by uh, by that short term gap doing jobs that you're not very good at and jobs that you don't want to do. Yeah, and that's one reason I think I'd, I'd rather see a combination of universal basic income with the job guarantee. I, mm. it, there's a lot of animosity on, in these web discussions. I think I've mentioned uh, the Australian dispute going on right now with Bill Mitchell and David Sligar. I think his name is Sleegar, it's like G-A-R. I'll try to search that while I, while we talk. But the uh, Sleegar is, is slagging off at the modern monetary theory, particularly Bill Mitchell, saying that what you've got is just a glorified version of work for the doll. It'll be punishing for people that it won't give them uh, the sort of a psychological boost you think it should, and why not go for a, a UBI? I, I'm, I'm between the two. I think a combination of the two would be a, a sensible way to go about it. A UBI is a lower level of income, meaning your um, logistics guy could decide to support his, his wife's new industry and, and do that uh, rather than going and planting the trees and other people who go and plant the trees. I think you need the two. Yeah. There's a danger as well, isn't there, that uh, if you're creating jobs that aren't necessarily real jobs, I mean, they might have some benefit but maybe not as much benefit as if we had a, a an economy that was that was running hot, you know, an economy that was operating efficiently. And one of the downsides of that could be that you could be chewing up resources, the Earth's resources, in a, in an ineffective way. You could be building stuff that's not needed, for example, putting concrete in the ground that doesn't have to be there. Well, I mean, this this is given the timing of, of modern monetary theory coming to social and political prominence. Uh, a lot of this is now being tied up with what do we do to reverse the damage we've done to the biosphere by ignoring limits to growth and swallowing the garbage of William Nordhaus if it was actually gospel truth. So mm. in that situation, you are going to want to drastically reduce the amount of uh, garbage being produced by the by the capitalist economy. No, you know, goodbye plastic bags, goodbye single-use plastics, uh, and goodbye a huge amount of energy consumption in industries like airlines. And, and many others. Uh, and then in that situation, you want to be you know, planting planting trees, you want to be assembling solar power uh, stations, which are, you know, to some extent, something a, a relatively unskilled person can, can get into. You wouldn't be trying that with nuclear power, but you could try with solar and, and, and other forms of renewable energy. Yeah. So there are, and we, there are look, certainly positions. We could replace out. the plastic bags, couldn't we, with basket weavers? Maybe oh, you ba- are getting sarcastic here now, aren't you? <laughs> really? Does, <laughs> does it show? Uh, look, I mean, I can see that the, the, there might be certain sectors that, you know, there's always going to be demand for, and maybe we can create short-term jobs. Like, for example, there's clearly a, a lack of supply of council housing, and when there's an economic downturn, then maybe we need to plan more resources into that. So mm-hmm. if, there's, if there's people available to do that, then that would be a good thing. But the issue is, even if you were able to transfer people from their previous occupations into building the housing stock. You get to the end and there's good times returning. Are they going to go back to to their old jobs? No, because they're now skilled at whatever it was they were doing in terms of uh, of building this housing stock. So you've reskilled them. You've you know potentially they've lost their flexibility. Yeah, but the I mean the, the mix of jobs uh, is. Something you know, you, you and I have actually retrained at various times in our crazy careers. So it is possible to do it 
to some degree, but uh, when people have you know developed a set of, a set of highly specialised skills, an industry that disappears, um, then in that situation, a, a job that anybody can do is rather necessary for them in a transitional phase, and hopefully they can build the skills later. I mean, for example, with what COVID is doing right now to the many many people who are never going to be a pilot or a or a um, I hate to use the word air hostess, but I'm stuck with that. <laughs> My, uh, a steward, an air steward, uh, got, those positions aren't going to exist anymore. So lots of people um, but they, who had but they, training but they will. are going to have to go somewhere else. Than- we, they, they, huh? they presumably will in a few years' time, maybe not to the same. I doubt it. Mm. I don't think so. So uh, no, one, I think one final question then. Uh, yeah, so that's mm. structural change, and so, may, so maybe it helps with that. Mm. Maybe it expedites that rather than uh, it, it winding through more slowly uh, with, without mm. the, the job guarantee. If um, if we're buying, we we buy a lot of stuff from overseas normally because it's cheaper. Isn't there a danger that you know if, if we're creating a lot of jobs locally, um, that, that you know that, that it's not that, that that's still not going to change. You know that we that we're, we're still going to be buying stuff from overseas. Potentially, we'll be using using uh, jobs locally to create stuff under a false economy that could mean we're, we're creating stuff that nobody wants while still buying stuff from overseas. It just sounds a bit Soviet era to me if we go down that road. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one, one of the, again, one of the attacks being made on the modern monetary theory case for the job guarantee. But the re- reply is, well, you, you, if you give people a choice between unemployment and lousy pay, uh, which means that the, the, the market economy itself suffers more because of the lack of spending, uh, and you've got people who, are, who might be considering socialism as better than uh, being unemployed under capitalism. It's you know it, it cuts both ways. Um, I, but I, th- I think a, a, a lot of the jobs that people are talking about for a job guarantee are not the sort of thing you would be uh, not able to import. You're not talking about making products for sale. Uh, you're talking about stuff which is produced in the public sector for general consumption, such you know the, the old railroads and bridges. Mm. Uh, which everybody benefits from and nobody pays for directly. It's more those sorts of positions yeah. and, and, and the local council version of that as well. All of it, of course, requires vision, uh, which is p- potentially a reason why none of this is going to happen. I'll, I'll finish with an anecdote, right? I, I approach my, my local council because I, uh, I, I live in the home counties in England and uh, everyone in this town basically used to commute into London to work. And uh, now lots of companies and lots of people are saying, well, that's going to change now. We're going to be we're going to be living in town. And, uh, you know, occasionally we, we might go into London once a week. So I approached the local council and said, well, you know, here's a great opportunity for you guys. You could have a rework style uh, property, you know, a really nice office suite where people could be uh, mingling and working, working from working in town, but, you know, I'm working from home part of the time, but maybe going into this office where they can mix with people from other industries that would be, you know, very healthy. You could have a very nice cafe there that the council could make money out of. Uh, you're getting people into town, so they'd be buying from ca- local cafes, you know, whereas they used to uh, buy from the nearest Pret-a-Manger in, in London, of which there's many. In fact, I think the, the, the plan for Pret-a-Manger was, if you can't see a Pret-a-Manger from the Pret-a-Manger you're standing at, we need to build another one. Um, you know, you could, uh, you can, you know, you could put all of those into, the, bring that into town as well uh, and the response from the local council was um oh yes we are working on a brochure for uh, working from home so, a brochure, a brochure. Yeah, okay. so i mean but that that would be an example enormous opportunity there and a lot of jobs that could be could be associated with that uh and uh and i just don't think there's the you know that the vision exists you know 
generally in the public sector, and I am being very damning of the public sector, I apologise for those people listening who do work in the public sector, but I'm sure everyone's seen a bit of it. I just don't see there's a vision for them to create the jobs that are going to be effective. I think it's a huge opportunity, but I just don't see it happening. Well, I mean, again, I'll take it back to the 50s and 60s when you had public servants with the, both with the school level and, with the, and the philosophy uh, yeah. uh, that made it possible as the last 40 years, which, again, neoclassical economists have derided and rubbished economy, uh, public service sector positions while they've also underfunded them or helped them being underfunded. Well, there's the thing, with the, yeah, but there's the yeah. thing, isn't it? But they, they, those people are now working in the private sector because they're getting paid more. Uh, do, do, so surely, you know, part of the, you know, we said early on that these public sector jobs would be paying less than the private sector because you don't want to crowd out the private sector. But similarly, for the for the more senior jobs, for the people who are going to create the vision, you want them to, you, you need to be competitive with the private sector, don't you? Well, I mean, you've got a sort of level of security in the public sector. You don't necessarily get it in the private. But I like one of my family members, was a, a top-class public servant uh, who was involved in procurement design and was finally poached by a private company because uh, he just kept on saying, no, I want to do this for the public benefit. No, I want to do this for public benefit. Oh, for Christ's sake, I can't turn that, that much money. Okay, I'll come and work for you. Um, but his, his philosophy mm. throughout was that he wanted to do, a, uh, do his work as a public service and he was damn good at it and, and that's why he was poached. Um, so you want to give yeah. you, you need well, to you know give people inside the public service uh, enough money that they can't be stolen by the private in that sense. Yeah. Well, and there you hit the problem that the moment they move over to the public sector, are they ever going to go back again? To the private sector or public sector? <laughs> yeah, to the to the to the private sector. You know, once they if they worked in the private sector, they went through a period of da- economic downturn. They're guaranteed a public sector job. Uh, they they skill up in that area it's going to be hard to get them to go back to the private sector again because they'll say, well, I'm happy in this job. This job's around forever, and I know about this stuff now, so I don't want to go back to the private sector. Well, that's where, that, that's where again, the job guarantee means paying less than you to get mm. into the private sector, and then you get the whole issues, which you now people like David Slark are, are slinging off it about it, saying, well, it's just another version mm. of work for the doll. And, 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 and this is, a, again, why... I, I would prefer to see the advocates of universal basic income, people like Carl Widerquist, um, in the in the USA and the advocates of the job guarantee not shooting each other all the time, but saying let's work out some compromise yeah. arrangement where both the UBI and a job guarantee are brought in to get away from the real danger we're trying to both avoid, which is involuntary unemployment and lousy pay, uh, which both r- ruins the productive capability of human beings, ruins their social skills as well, while also leaving capitalism in in the, the lurch because. You've gone into a downturn where government spending could push uh, the economy the opposite direction, and you're not doing it. You're actually amplifying the public, the private sector downturn. Mm. So you know there, there, there is. I'd like to see compromise between UBI and J, and JG. Right, and it makes a great deal of sense. We'll leave it there. Look, I, what I am astonished that this discussion is not happening in more places right now, given that you know where we are around the world. Mm. But we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, certainly Rishi Sunak's approach in the UK now is pretty much if you haven't got a job that's viable, then you've got to get on the dole because he's worried about paying for all of this. It's a shame, isn't it, that the argument has got down to the battle between a virus that's killing people and an artificial construct, which is money that we have created. And in these deflationary times, we can create more of it, but uh, we don't seem to accept that. Next time, a thought on how we can actually turn people's attitudes around on government debt. What if it meant you owned a stake in your country? If everyone was a bondholder. We'll look at that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. See you then. Thanks for listening.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.